Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, UK rate strategist, and I'm joined today by our global market specialists, John Briggs and Giles Gale. Okay, Imogen, we're going to start with you because I think that any discussion of markets has to start with the UK this week. And now maybe we should just leave it as a sort of fairly free form. What has been going on? And start anywhere, I suppose. <laughs> Where to even begin? Um, yeah, so, well, so much has happened since we caught up on Boncast that maybe we should just do a bit quick of a bit of a recap to work out how we ended up here. But essentially, we had the Bank of England last week who raised rates by 50 basis points, as was expected. Um, but they were slight, taken slightly hawkishly by the market in that they, um, at the time, announced that they would be going ahead with bond sales, um, QT, active sales um, of their guilt portfolio, as they'd planned to in the August meeting. And now that was taken a little bit hawkishly at the time because um, it was felt like in the face of all of this fiscal issuance that the market expected to come on board. Um, You know, the Bank of England also selling bonds back into that environment was perhaps adding unnecessary bearish pressures onto the gilt curve. So there was some discussion, particularly given some comments that have been made earlier on in the week by um, Hugh Pill at the Treasury Select Committee. There was some discussion that that they might delay or even slow the pace of active sales, Uh, but they didn't do any of those things last Thursday. So that was kind of the first hawkish kicker, if you like, that that sent yields slightly higher on Thursday afternoon. We then had the mini budget on Friday, um, which although a lot of the measures were as expected, um, some of the tax cuts were um, larger and uh, broader, let's say, than had previously been trailed in the press. So overall, the borrowing that, that the mini budget was projecting for the years ahead was greater than the market expected. Uh, and that's what really kind of kickstarted this major sell-off that we've seen in the last couple of days in the gilt market. Um, Quasi Kartang, the, the new UK Chancellor, then sort of doubled down on this easing rhetoric in terms of um, you know, more tax cuts to come, more fiscal stimulus to come over the weekend. And we opened on Monday morning um, quite significantly weaker in gilt yields, uh, pretty broad-based weakness. Um, and there was also um, weakness in the currency as well. Um, and that's what was uh, the big kicker, I suppose, for the market beginning to think about intermeeting hikes from the Bank of England or intermeeting interventions. Um, there's been a lot of volatility since then in terms of are we going to see intermeeting rate hikes or not? The Bank of England did come out on Monday afternoon and said that they would reassess um, everything in their new updated forecast round, which will be in November. Um, Hugh Pill was pretty adamant that they would plough ahead with QT, um, but obviously, as we now know, um, and if you don't know this, I'm surprised you're even listening to this podcast because you probably have no interest in anything that I've just said. Uh, but the Bank of England have now, as we know, um, rolled back. Well, not just rolled back on QT in terms of pushing that start date back to the end of, of October, but have actually restarted a form of QE, although obviously it's QE by another name, as we know, central banks now prefer like the ECB with the TPI. Um, And that was largely related to 
um, I guess, instability or, or dysfunction, if you like, that we were seeing in long end yields um, and the implications that that has for a, a certain sector of, of the UK market, you know, the, the LDI community and, and the pension fund community and and the the implications that, you know, significantly higher gilt yields have on on their funding ratios and, and their solvency. Um, so that's where we've got to today. We've had one of these auctions, uh, the long end that, that the Bank of England have conducted. Um, it was quite small. They're able to do five billion a day. They only did one billion. Um, they're doing an auction now as we speak. So by the time listeners listen to this, we'll have a bit more information on, on how that has gone. But overall, there's been many, many moving parts. And, um, you know, I kind of just scratched the surface and everything that I've just said, but I'm not sure that our outlook for markets is really materially altered um, uh, versus where we were just one week ago. Amongst other things, just put out a note on uh, you know, what you think about this whole situation, uh, ranging from the Bank of England outlook through sterling to, to gilt yields. Um, and so I just wanted to you know, draw you out on a few of the, the main points there, perhaps. Now, just starting with where the market is and where you think the, the Bank of England is likely to, 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 to be headed. Yeah, I guess that's probably the biggest change in our view, which is what I was just about to say, is that the market, like I say, I mean, front ends have been very, very volatile. At some point on Monday morning, we had 75 basis points of inter-meeting hikes being priced in. Um, we've settled a lot lower than that now. Um, there's still you know, some likelihood of an inter-meeting hike being priced into markets, which we don't think is correct, and we'd push back against that. Um, but we've revised up our bank rate call um, largely after relatively hawkish rhetoric i would say from hugh pill earlier this week that you know this significant fiscal easing is going to require significant reaction on the monetary policy side um so we now his repetition i should be clear yes i can think of other words uh, but very much his repetition um so we now expect a 100 basis point hike in november an additional 100 basis points in december and 50 in February. So that takes our terminal rates about four and a half percent. That's quite a lot below where the market is pricing. The market has about 150 fully priced almost for November and has terminal rate closer to 6%. At some point this week, it's been higher than 6%, uh, but we're a bit lower than that right now. So I would say that's where we probably see um, the biggest gap between what we think and, and where mar- or where markets are most mispriced, I would say, is in terms of, of bank rate pricing. Okay, so in, indeed, I, I suppose that one of the main points that, um, that you've been making is that the markets seem to believe that the Bank of England is going to be exceptionally aggressive, mainly to defend the currency, whereas... No, you don't you don't see that uh, because the pain that would be involved in order to defend the currency at uh, at a certain level is just infeasibly large right well yeah infeasibly large and you know although clearly the you know 
currency has a huge influence on on inflation. The Bank of England is an inflation targeting central bank, not a currency level targeting central bank. It's very different them intervening to protect the functionality of a certain sector of the bond market, um, which they have the firepower to do versus, um, you know, beginning this game of of trying to defend the currency. Um, And, you know, the the rate hikes or the monetary policy tightening that would probably be required in order to um, defend the currency at these levels would be um, almost impossible for them to deliver given the impact that it would have you know elsewhere on on the economy and you've also updated your profile for for gilt yields yes um we have <laughs> i i think the main story for gilt yields just you know it goes back to what i was saying at the beginning of of um this podcast is that actually you know i don't think the bank of england's intervention in the bond market materially alters the medium-term outlook for gilts. It doesn't materially change the net supply outlook, which is really what's been driving rates higher. You know, that's at the root of, of, of this move is that there's going to be a huge amount of additional supply for the market to take down. Uh, and it's not obvious who, who the buyer of, of that supply is going to be. Um, you know, listeners of, of this podcast are probably bored of hearing me say that, but ultimately that that's what's been driving the sell-off. And, and that hasn't changed. You know, the, the bank Bank of England, in its current guise, the inf- the intervention is that they can buy five billion of twenty year plus bonds for the next thirteen working days. So that's a maximum of sixty five billion. Now they only bought one billion yesterday, so it's actually just about sixty billion now from from here. But let's just call it sixty five um, for for calculation's sake. The total rundown in the stock of of the gilt portfolio that is planned when they begin QT over the next 12 months is 80 billion. So even if they bought 65 billion gilts over the next two weeks, the Bank of England aren't even fully offsetting um, the the impact of QT, assuming that goes ahead as planned. So from a net supply perspective, in terms of what duration is going to be left for other investors to take down. Um, The Bank of England doing a small amount of QE over the next couple of weeks doesn't really change the fact that, you know, there isn't going to be a U-turn from the government in terms of its major spending plans, we don't think. Um, A huge amount of of gilt issuance is still going to hit the market over the next couple of years. And that gilt issuance has to find a home in a high inflation, low growth world where there's, you know, globally a lack of demand for duration, but but certainly a lack of demand for for UK assets. Um, So to put some numbers on that, (laughs) just quickly before we wrap up, uh, because I think I've probably been monologuing for long enough about the UK, but to put some numbers on that, I think that that means that, you know, the the move that we saw in gilt yields so far hasn't been particularly divorced from reality. I think it was just the speed at which it happened, which was perhaps more concerning. Um, But I still think that gilt yields over the 10-year yields over the medium term are likely to settle closer to 5% than 4%. uh, And that's what we've upgraded our um, our target to on, on 10 year yields is, is 5%. So maybe just one final question, Imogen. Um, you were, yeah, I mean, one of the points you already mentioned that you don't expect a U-turn on any of the, um, the, the budget announcements that seem to have been the sort of proximate trigger for, for, for all of this. Um, now that's one of the questions which uh, has, has come up again and again, and it seems like there's a lot of hysteria and, and, and excitement about you know, on, on a number of issues, and you know, it doesn't help when um, you know, 
you, I mean, the, the headlines in the in the press, the IMF getting involved. I mean, uh, it, 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 it seems like there is an awful lot of noise. But in addition to you know, everything else, it seems like there are some people who are gen who, who have been genuinely concerned about the the possibility that this might be leading to something more lasting and systemic. Um, the, you know, <laughs> perhaps a, a key and difficult question. But um, what's your view on that? Well, I guess just to answer the first part of that, I think you're right that there's an awful lot of noise about essentially what the headline is around unfunded tax cuts. But actually, when you look at the increase in borrowing over the next couple of years, the bulk of that is due to this energy price cap, you know, 60 billion of the 70 or billion of, of increase in guilt that, that has been announced for this year um, is all related to the cost of um, capping energy prices at 2,500. So Although there have been, you know, some unfunded tax cuts that have been announced, they're only a very small proportion of the borrowing that the government intends to do. And therefore, the prospect of, of those being unwound, I think, is, is anyway very unlikely. But the impact of, of those being unwound um, is very minimal, given that, you know, this government or any other government had to do something to mitigate the impact of rising energy prices on the consumer. And perhaps you might argue that it, it could have been maybe slightly smaller. It could have been maybe a little bit more targeted than, than what was actually announced. But ultimately, you know, any government would have had to have announced uh, some broad based and fairly costly program to, to mitigate this, this cost of living crisis. Um, I think that we'll find out more in, at the end of November, and that could be um, a key date, I suppose, in, in terms of restoring market confidence, if you like, in the current government, because one of the problems with the mini budget that we had last week was that it was delivered without any updated projections, both in terms of fiscal plans, but also in terms of um, the growth and, and inflation projections of, of the OBR. So perhaps the government will use um, the 23rd of November, which is, is the date that we will get updated projections to provide some kind of multi-year assurances about um, the trajectory of, of public finances essentially in the UK. Um, but, but overall, I think probably the, the concerns about, you know, risks of snowballing and uh, snowballing debt and, and debt sustainability um, at the moment are, are probably a little bit overdone. Uh, so with that, let's, well, not stray too far away from the UK, because I think it's been the influence of, of all markets this week, but perhaps I'll leave it up to you to talk now, Giles. Um, so are there any implications, I suppose, from what we've seen in UK markets this week for euro area rates? Okay, I mean the answer is yes. There clearly has there, there has been contagion. There's there, no, there's been some uh, I, I would say sort of trading technical contagion, but there's also thematic contagion as well. So you know there's interest, of course, in whether the kind of dynamic uh, that we're seeing due to you know what appears ostensibly to be a, re a market reaction about the to an extent, the, the, the feasibility of um, a certain fiscal position um, in higher inflation environment. And you know, there, I mean, you don't have to look all that closely at the fiscal positions in Europe to see that that also applies in a smaller way, but it applies across the Euro area. So, so yes, I would say that that's in the mix, um, you know, clearly with Know, differences across countries, which um, you know, I don't think we'll get into today. Um, 
that's in the Italian context. But um, but but anyway, the 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 other things, you know, there's obviously interest in whether we might see some kind of um, you know, the sort of you know the dynamic which is self-fulfilling that we've seen in the the leveraged um, investments uh, the LDI community in, in in the UK, where that might be, you know, there's a possibility that you know, the, the, the setup is sufficiently similar um, in in Europe that that might develop. My uh, my reaction to that is no, probably not. Uh, the, the UK is particularly concentrated, particularly sort of you know, dominated by uh, by players which all sort of mimic similar kinds of um, strategies, and so that doesn't really account, uh, apply in, in in the European context, which is a lot more diversified. But you know, you, it, it is imaginable, and so you know, perhaps that's something that we need to come back to. There is a resurgence in all manner of other kinds of technical factors in markets, just because we're coming, you know, because of what we've seen in in the UK, but also because we're coming up to the end of the year, because liquidity is poor, because people are trying to lock down risk and you know, thinking about okay, so what happens with things like what 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 happens with the VAR shop? What happens with legacy sort of structured product positioning? Um, you know, what happens with things like trend following accounts and you know the way that they may have been drawn into certain positions for example you no know, curve flatness for example is, are we you know, potentially do we need to think about the possibility of, a, of an unruly unwind of any of these things so it's very much on the radar but the markets have not been moving anything like <laughs> what's been happening in the uk and we all just been you know, strapping ourselves to our seats, to be honest, for the right to a certain extent. <laughs> but they have been moving a little bit, and I guess a, a, you know a lot of that is is contagion from the UK. But but um, as about say yields, bond yields did reach your long held two percent target, ten year bond yields. That is, how are you thinking about um, that target now? Is is this a you know are they rallying back down through this, or is it going? To three percent, four percent. Yeah, the spread widening in in Italy is pretty much in line with um, the the widening that we've seen in other risk assets. Um, so, no, it's not really, I don't think, driven by any anxieties about the uh, Italian election outcome. In actual fact, the election was pretty much in line with expectations going into the um, well, expectations that have been formed over over weeks um, at least into the election itself and actually you know, whilst before the election there was you know, there, there, there were some slightly more concerning outcomes that seemed possible um, for example you know, the possibility that the league and the the brothers of Italy um, alone could have uh, uh, could have commanded a, a majority in both houses or, or indeed that the right coalition might have had a super majority that would have allowed them to uh, to, to, to tinker with the the constitution so those didn't happen and you know, broadly speaking, I think we are now moving into a, a period of relative calm in, in, in Italy where you know, when a government won't be formed straight away. Um, that's, uh, that's a process which will take weeks at least. And so you know, it'll probably seem relatively quiet uh, for the time being. 
And you know, as we said again and again, there, there, there's, there's no sort of sense of crisis about any of this. It, you know, it seems like the, the new government's intentions are broadly what the market wants to hear. Of course, you know, some investors may uh, may see a future where, you know, if we are, if they're put in under pressure by economic developments, they may revert to whatever they believe their their type is. But at the moment, they're saying the right sorts of things, and you know, we and, and the budget uh, position, funding position, all looks okay. Um, you know, the whole energy issue also looks okay. It doesn't look like we are facing uh, an imminent crisis here. Um, so broadly speaking, I think that we are at levels in Italy where we probably should be expecting the ECB to be providing support. So that's not far below 5% in 10-year uh, BTPs and 250 basis points in, um, in, in spread. But of course, no, I don't know whether that's taking, taking place or not. But I certainly, at this point, would expect um, you know, the ECB to, to to lean into any uh, any additional pressure. So I don't see a particularly attractive risk reward in being short at this point. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you, Giles. So moving over to um, to the US, then, John, how has what has happened in the UK this week impacted US markets? Yeah, I mean, similar to Europe, we're certainly the tail of the dog here for once in in the US, and I just think it's striking given showing just how much markets are moving when you ask Giles by hundreds of basis points if his target's going to be moved. You know, we're not talking about 25, we're talking about full percentage changes. As Giles quipped earlier this week that 50 basis points is the new 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, kudos to you for having um, you know, that first four and a half and now 5% to your guild target, um, which you've had. So uh, in the US, though, a little bit different. Um, I would say, you know, obviously we're being whipped around by some of these moves, uh, different parts of the curve moving at different speed. Uh, you know, you're never not going to have that spillover effect. Giles brought up something, which is a question of how many of these issues facing, you know, UK um, LDI and other accounts could be possible risks in the US. But you know, I think that part of the answer in, to that when it comes to the US is that, you know, our rate move, at least to more recent times was kind of fairly well signaled to some degree. So investors did have, a, even if it's a small amount of time, um, did have some time to prepare for some of these moves. Whereas I think in the UK, it was such a sharp, short-term, unexpected market reaction that there wasn't a lot of time. So we're less worried about that there. But more broadly, you know, we had 10-year yields moving up to 4%. Um, just for context, we have them ending the year at 360. So, but the th the problem with these times times like this is even if you know you're at 370, 380, 394 when you've got gilts moving 100 basis points a day, it's not really re realistic to say, oh, well, you should be buying 10 years scaling in at 4% because we see them 360. So, you know, we do think that that is kind of the the, the medium term guidestone out the curve, and we we remain there, but we're highly recognizing or highly cognizant of the realities of the market um, and that investors are going to need to see the dust settle here before uh, finding closer valuations. Now, of course, you know, just today we're back down around 380. We were 370 this morning. So, you know, the, the market volatility is enough that um, it's kind of within the range of, uh, you know, nearby. Um, even 4% is pretty close to 360. Then that's like a two-day movement. More on the front end, though, you know, we have, we actually think things are pretty fair there also. Now the market's got pricing for uh, four and a half more, I'm sorry, four and a half terminal Fed funds. 
we think it's closer to 5%, but we think the differences are that we have a couple extra hikes back in, in, into 23. And the feeling is the market doesn't necessarily need to price all of that right now, right away. So we could see a situation where if markets settle down in these areas, you know, two is at four and a quarter, that you start to see more of a drift rather than, you know, a revolution in the markets that we've that we've seen that takes this pricing out. And, you know, it'll take a few CPIs and things like that to get the market to price in that additional thing. But we do feel very confident in the end that, um, you know, the front end is going to drift a little bit higher over time. Because even today, for example, you know, Bullard looked at claims being under 200,000 for the week and just is reminding us that the labor market still is very strong. And in the end, until they see some loosening in the labor market, until they see, you know, uh, have more confidence, we're not seeing second round effects for obviously important everywhere, but those wages aren't going to feed through inflation expectations, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to stay on the ball. So um, I don't see anything happening overseas impacting the Fed, um, you know. What's going on in sterling is not going to have a big impact on our inflationary outlook. You know, if it dollar EM, dollar China, that has much greater impact. But even there, our inflation is mostly service driven, not good inflation, it's goods inflation. So, you know, I think the Fed's pretty much on track. So our, you know, what we're, we're talking to clients about is, all right, just survive volatility, take a deep breath. Yes, we think yields will probably settle in around these areas. But, you know, recognizing that, you know, just putting out a blanket, hey, buy at 10, set four, because they're going to 360 right now. It's just more of a, you know, let's be cautious, save that capital time of year. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Here's hoping to quieter markets then over the next couple of weeks and, and we can add some more value in our, in our views. All right. Thank you very, both very much for joining me this week. I'll let you get back to the desk because there is a lot going on, uh, but we'll catch up again next week. Uh, yeah. And like I say, hopefully there's a little bit less to talk about when we do catch up next week. Thanks. See you next week. And just a reminder to our listeners, if you liked today's episode, don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thank you.